day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and as always, thanks for tuning in. So there's a parking lot in East Lansing that tells one of the really important stories of the unexpected ways that the COVID-19 pandemic has wreaked real havoc on our economy. This parking lot is filled with thousands of cars that can't be driven or sold because each of them is missing a microchip that costs just 14 cents. It's a scene that encapsulates the supply chain problems that we have been facing during the pandemic and reflects the bigger issue of our dependence on foreign manufacturing. Michigan Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin recently visited that parking lot and has been thinking a lot about ways to address some of these problems. She joins me now to talk about that and other issues that she and other members of Congress are working on this summer. Congressman, Congresswoman Slotkin, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's talk about the real-life impacts on people here in Michigan that are related to this microchip shortage. You saw this parking lot full of cars. There are people who are feeling the brunt of that backlog. Big time. I mean, uh, you know, I represent two GM plants. And when I was walking through that uh, that parking lot full of cars that can't move, one of the plants, Delta or uh, Grand River, was still on hold. They weren't working. They weren't producing cars. They were waiting to hear when they could come back. And that morning that I was there, the other plant in Lansing, the Delta Township plant, was told that they were going to go on a couple days hiatus because they just don't have this 14 cent microchip. So everyone can understand what it's like. You're working at a job and literally you get a text that gets spread all over the plant saying you're not having to come to work tomorrow and we'll let you know when to come back. It creates real instability for families. People don't know what they can and cannot do. Um, and, you know, it. we've seen the result. Look at the price of a car. Anyone who's tried to buy even a used car has seen how it's affected the market. So it's a, it's affecting people's lives in a serious way. And I think, you know, the important thing is it comes from a long, long, decades-long sort of habit of, you know, sole sourcing things for cars from other countries where we can't really control the supply chain. So I wanted to highlight that. I've become obsessed with this issue, um, and that's why we're in that parking lot that day. Yeah. So as you point out, this is something that has built over time in our country, and the pandemic really highlights how important the issue is. But uh, the idea of changing that is not like flipping a switch. It it literally is something that we have to kind of start from the ground and build up to so that we're not as reliant on on foreign manufacturing. We talk a lot about that, but but how much of that is actually being done? Yeah, it's a great point. And you're right. It takes a while to turn the aircraft carrier that is American trade policy. Um, I think the, the, the most important thing is we have bipartisan interest in dealing with this because of the experience we all had in COVID. I mean, if I, as a congresswoman, find myself negotiating with the Chinese middleman in the middle of the night for a 78-cent mask, because our nurses and doctors literally are sharing masks as they intubate COVID patients, I think it's safe to say our supply chain failed us, right? Mm -hmm. We had a failure. Everyone in Congress, everyone this year saw how important supply chains were for some people for the first time. And I, I, so I think there's real consensus. Number two, you got to do the nug work to figure out how you incentivize manufacturing to be at a minimum 
spread across the world to some of our allies, not just our adversaries. But then also the, the big white whale is bringing manufacturing back to the United States. You do that by incentivizing and having good policy. You, you tell people the federal government is going to have more strict Buy American requirements. You tell the federal government that you're going to incentivize companies who decide to bring back additional manufacturing lines to the United States. It doesn't happen by itself. It happens because we incentivize it. And the companies are prepared to do it. You know, GM, Ford, you better believe they got supply chain transparency this year. I mean, they really dug in to see who are their tier four, tier five, tier six suppliers because they got, you know, hung up because they can't get a specific piece, a tiny, tiny piece. So the climate is right, but it is work. And this is why we set up a task force, a bipartisan task force in Congress to look just specifically at legislation to deal with this issue. So so I also want to talk just a little about the differences in approach to this. Uh, President Donald Trump was was really concerned about this issue and, and talked a lot about it and did some things to change trade policy that he thought would encourage uh, more manufacturing in this country and and would punish companies that were doing things overseas or relying on things overseas. Uh, Talk about the difference between his approach and what the Biden administration is doing and uh, assess the two. Did, Did what President Trump tried did it actually work? Did it actually start to turn that aircraft carrier around that you were talking about, about uh, American trade policy? And, and what's, the, what's the, I guess, prognosis for what the Biden administration's approach looks like? Yeah. So to me, the, I'm a kind of proof is in the pudding person. President Trump definitely talked about this all the time. And for a lot of people, that was music to their ears. But we got to look at the results. We have to look at the actual changes, if there were any. And in my mind, I'm having a, I have a harder time finding them. The big thing that, the, that any president can control is what the federal government buys, right? And while I worked at the Department of Defense, and there are very strict by American requirements on things like body armor and tanks and planes, there are not strict requirements um, on things like masks, gowns, prescription drugs, office paper, I mean, you name it, right? If it's a little bit more expensive to get it from an American supplier, you get a waiver to those buy American requirements and off you go, you can buy them from somewhere else. Um, President Biden, that was one of the first things that he did in his first, I think, four months, is he basically said, we're not going to give out as many waivers. You're just not going to be able to buy, you know, those prescription drugs from only overseas. It's, It's a risk to us. So it'll take time to do a, an accurate comparison to four years of Trump versus four years of Biden. But for for President Trump's talk about this, I have not seen the actual jobs, the actual expansion, with the exception here in Michigan of our electric cars, right, our electric fleet. I represent Lake Orion. There's been good investment in the Bolt, you know, the Chevy Bolt and an electric batteries in general. But uh, in terms of policy, I just didn't see kind of the the results that he I think talked about so much. Hmm. So I, I want to also talk just a little about uh, some other issues, um, and one and the one I think is on people's minds just so much today is the flooding and the storm yeah. damage that we're we're dealing with. Uh, we recently saw this major flooding in southeast Michigan a few weeks ago. 
then Thursday night here in Metro Detroit, we got storms again, really, really powerful, short-lived, but but very wet storms that, mm-hmm. that caused infrastructure to, to fail. Um, would you be willing to vote for an infrastructure package there in Washington if it does not address these really critical stormwater issues that we're facing here in Southeast Michigan, or doesn't help us deal with uh, with the backlog of maintenance and the upgrades and and all the things that we need. Yeah, so I don't think there's a Michigan representative um, who would say uh, I will vote for an infrastructure package if it doesn't include a big chunk of change for dealing with our water infrastructure, and that's everything from wastewater, sewage, upgrading our our um, treatment plants. From the local, local level, we have problems to the biggest cities in our state, obviously watching what happened in Detroit. Um, Michigan, like our thing is water, and we are focused on it more than anybody. So the infrastructure package that we, the bipartisan package that I endorsed and support, um, that I think is coming up for a vote here before the end of July, has a significant amount of money, billions of dollars for water infrastructure. Um, So I don't think I'm going to have to make that Sophie's choice. We're going to vote on it. I think the question is, are we prepared as a state to really treat this as the strategic moment that it is and say, okay, the, our water facilities, they've sort of come to the end of their design life. Now is this strategic moment to really invest, to do something big and clean those systems up in a way that we won't have the chance 10 years from now or 15 years from now. We, our local governments need to seize that moment, and that's the conversation I've been having with all of the local officials in my district. Hmm. And what do you think, uh, I, I know you are a member of Congress and, and not in charge of, uh, of local government, but what do you think of the job that local authorities have been doing so far, uh, t- trying to deal with these storms and trying to, to figure out a way to, to invest in this infrastructure a little more than we have before? Again, just like the issue of uh, of domestic manufacturing, uh, infrastructure is something we talk about all the time. Yep. And it is not something that seems to experience a lot of change uh, in, in, in a, uh, over that long period of time. I mean, this is getting worse, not better. Yeah. So I think the conversation at the local level, I mean, there is a ton of chatter and work going on right now to prepare for this kind of once in a generation money that's going to be coming in. Um, but we need the money to get in the hands of the local officials. I mean, I voted on a COVID bill that was signed by Biden at the uh, beginning of March, and the legislature in Lansing left for summer break without appropriating it, right? So while I'm talking to my local officials and telling them to plan and they're getting down to business on what would be a strategic way to use that money, none of it is in their bank accounts. And I think we just need to be honest about that that these local officials haven't seen a dime since that bill was passed in March. Um, but they are planning. They, are, they understand this moment. Uh, a lot of the, the local communities I represent are very fiscally responsible. They know that this is a significant amount of money, and they do not want to be involved in anything that could be considered waste, fraud, abuse, any of that. So there's a ton of work going on at the local level. Now I need Lansing to do their job and get the money to those local governments. Mm. 
I'm talking with Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin. Uh, she is a Democrat from here in southeast Michigan. She represents Michigan's 8th Congressional District in Congress. We're talking about uh, manufacturing here in the United States and in southeast Michigan. We were also just talking about the storms that uh, that overwhelmed our local stormwater infrastructure here in Detroit and uh, in the suburbs. Uh, Congresswoman, I wonder what your reaction is to the deal that President Biden seems to have struck with Republican leaders in Congress uh, on infrastructure. Overall, is this is this a good way to move forward on the issue? Well, I think it's important. Um, you know, I, I mean, I I believe in bipartisanship. That is obviously harder and harder in a politicized world, but I believe in it in my bones. And I think it's important that when we're spending this, these huge sums of money that we have bipartisan buy-in. So I, I am part of a group called the Problem Solvers Caucus, equal numbers of Democrats and Republicans, and we actually helped come up with the framework for that compromise. We were happy to see it announced from the White House, and that's what we're going to be voting on, uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, I do think, is it perfect? No, there's no perfect bill that ever existed. And I think what people need to keep their eyes on is that this is a significant amount of money on top of a significant amount of money that we've had to spend because of COVID. We need to be able to account for it. We need to be able to treat the federal government the same way we treat our own home budgets. You don't spend like crazy without explaining how you're going to pay for it. And that's tough work when you're talking about billions of dollars. So that's what's going on right now. Um, no one wants infrastructure more than me and other Michigan representatives. We know how bad our roads are, our bridges, our dams. But we ha also have a responsibility to look at the accounts and make sure we can afford what we're doing. Hmm. Um, I, I want to uh, change the subject again here and talk about something that you're calling attention to. It's a law that you sponsored that was signed by President Trump before he mm -hmm. left office, the Real-Time Benefits Act. And it would let patients comparison shop for prescription drugs and find more affordable medications. Uh, what do people need to know about this law? and uh, how they can take advantage of it. Yeah, President Trump signed it into law right uh, at the very end of 2020, December 27th. Um, and the law came directly from the conversations I had in mid-Michigan about the cost of prescription drugs. Mm -hmm. And this really crazy thing that prescription drugs are the only thing you buy in your life where you don't get to know the price until you show up at the register, right? And I talked to seniors, so many seniors, so many pharmacists, who said that every single day there's someone who comes up to their counter, gets their drugs, looks at the price, puts the drugs back down, and walks out because mm. they can't afford it. Yeah. So what this does is basically say um, we got to put transparency and power back in the hands of the consumer, the patient. So when you go to the doctor's office, if you are on Medicare, right, this is aimed at our seniors, the doctor's office on their computer system will be able to see when they prescribe a drug, let's say a cholesterol medicine, they can tell you what you can get the name brand for at a certain pharmacy. They can tell you what you can get the generic for at an in, you know, in district pharmacy. And you can comparison shop. And the drug that we use on, you know, for cholesterol was a very common drug, drug that my dad uses. And at one place, you can get the name brand for $220. At the right pharmacy for a generic, you can get it for 65 cents. Hmm. So per month. So, that kind of thing is transformational for an older person, right? The amount of money that they save, 
So that's what turned in the law. We now have to promulgate the rules um, through Health and Human Services, but we were out talking about it so that we can help shape those rules to make it be as empowering as possible for anyone on Medicare. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also want to talk to you a little about Afghanistan. And mm-hmm. the, the United States is finally in the process of leaving after two decades of fighting there. It's really something to sit and think about that, uh, that time frame, two decades of, of that war. Um, you're a former CIA um, uh, analyst and, and agent, and I'm really, I'm really curious about your take on our role in Afghanistan and in that part of the world. Are we leaving that place better than we found it, uh, or are we slinking out with our, with our tail between our legs? Yeah, well, listen, I mean, I think I'm very influenced on this issue by talking to veterans in the district who fought in Afghanistan and are now sending their sons and daughters to the military to go to the same conflict. I mean, 20 years is a long time. It's America's longest war. And I think we have to understand um, and be open about the fact that we could be there another 20 years and not be able to nation build that country into the democracy that we want it to be. Um, I do think we've left it better. I mean, for Lord, there's a whole generation um, of women who never had the opportunity to go to school, who are now in school. We have nonprofit organizations. But at the end of the day, we have to take a really hard look and say, if we did this, you know, for the next five or 10 years, would it continue? Um, Would it get better? And by the way, you know, President Trump was the one who announced our departure. Um, And so the question isn't, should we stay and maintain the status quo or should we get out? Um, If we don't get out on basically the similar timeline than President Trump laid out, we were going to see more attacks more American body bags coming home. It's not status quo versus getting out. It's increased attack, attacks versus getting out. And I just, I think Americans are done with that, um, with the spilling of blood and treasure. That said, why did we go in? We went in because of 9-11, right. because the Taliban allowed a terrorist group to hang out on their soil, plot a complex attack, and kill over 2,000 American citizens. That cannot happen again. So for us or our allies, it's important to have an intelligence infrastructure on the ground, a diplomatic presence, robust, big on the ground, and then an over-the-horizon force that can come in if we see terrorists reorganizing. And that is, is an essential part of departing. We cannot let uh, ourselves or our allies and partners be attacked from Afghanistan. No, that is not okay. Okay, uh, Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, it's always great to talk with you here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Stephen. Have a good one. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to change subjects and preview this week's Detroit Policy Conference with Detroit Regional Chamber CEO Sandy Barua. Stay where you are. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today.